0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
1: tribe a striped skunk. Besides, they're very cute and all the things that we have alluded, <laughs> have alluded to so far. is in...
0: What can they teach us? The
1: chemistry of some of these volatile compounds... ...have been used in the perfume industry, not for their smells, but for their sticking quality.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: Stinky, 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 cute skunks. (laughs)
1: Oh, <laughs> little stinkers. I can't wait to talk about big stinkers, little stinkers, and all the stinkers in between.
0: They oh, they they do smell horrendous. I've smelt them. I'm sure you've smelt them. Anybody in North America that's been out nature has probably smelled them. But they are the cutest dang animals. They are just adorable.
1: Well, and you wouldn't think something so cute can make such a stink and we're going to dive <laughs> dive deep into the physiology because it was some of some of the things I learned this week about the skunk's ability to spray the distance the chemicals just was really impressive and then you look at their picture and you just are like they're just too cute for words and how how can they make that horrific smell and but yes we've all smelled them yes. uh, been downwind of a skunk and it is not really where you want to be uh my dog Sinatra got skunked many years no, ago. Oh
0: no, no, no.
1: Oh yes. And so we'll talk about uh the tomato juice bath and if that is <laughs> if a myth works. or or if it's a miracle. So it's gonna be a fun podcast today. I really, really been looking forward to this one. I can't believe that we haven't covered any species of skunk yet.
0: I know. I it was just always in the back of my mind as a okay, when we need to you know, bring out a big species just to to cover. We still have a few in there that that we're just holding off on. But I've seen skunks in the wild. I've seen baby skunks in the wild. Those, they are the most adorable little things. I didn't know where they where do they fit in with their classification. I I thought they were a rodent. No, you know, and I was like, well, they're not a felid. They're not cat like. They're not dog like. A mustelid maybe. So. That was surprising and then obviously diving into the biochemistry of the stink and why it's so awful, awful smelling for us. So gonna be a fun one. gonna be a fun one. Before we get going, I just I have to say thank you to Olivia. She sent us a, a beautiful message on Patreon. She just joined us this week. She is working at an aquarium. She's an aspiring zookeeper. She just found the podcast. She's like in love with it. She's learning a lot, you know, uh, getting her friends to listen. So, thank you so much, Olivia. Again, Patreon, Starbucks a month, supports us, supports species conservation. Before we are going, Angie and I are talking about these organizations we want to reach out to to work together and grow this podcast and grow this movement. Patreon's helping us do that. So, thank you so much.
1: And of course, if Patreon's not in your budget, uh, please head over to iTunes and give us a five star review. And of course, writing a few kind words about our podcast is always appreciated. It really keeps me going. I know it sounds super dorky, but before I start my research each week, I always go to see if we've had any letters or emails or reviews, and they really do help me. Of like, okay, I'm really busy this week, but. This person appreciates the podcast, and if what if it's helping one person, then I'm I'm in the right. I'm doing the right job right now, uh, and so this week a shout out goes to G H D. T-I-N-G-E, so Ting, maybe, who reviewed the podcast and said really nice things about how this podcast is making them excited, helping them on their morning commute, and that they're a biologist, so our podcast really helps them dive into species that they don't normally get to uh, learn about on a daily basis. And so uh, from one animal lover, aka animal dork, to another, thank you, GWH. Uh, d t i n g e for your lovely review and once again I, I i put it on my show notes to keep me motivated and hopefully we'll get many more of these so chris and i keep up the motivation and bringing you a
0: new species each week i know i know and thank you for sharing on social media we, we noticed that i know pip shares it each week and, and others that follow us on facebook so thank you so much for for doing that so as you're going to find out, skunks are native to North America. And, and specifically, we're doing the iconic striped skunk, which is very common in, in North America. But Angie, people that don't live in the Americas might not know what skunks are. So it's kind of describing them. You know, uh, the striped skunk's so cute, though. I, I think the easiest is is anybody seen Bambi the movie, Flower the skunk, Bambi's good friend, you know, is, is a good Start, I guess.
1: Oh yeah, well, and to date myself a little bit, I remember the Bugs Bunny cartoon, uh, oh. the striped skunk mm. Pepe Le Pew. Yes, yes, Pe- yes, yes. Who was like a French, uh, a French skunk that always wanted everybody. He was always looking for love, trying to get. Everyone to fall in love with him, and he was just really, really funny and cute. And uh, but yes, Chris, to describe a striped skunk, besides they're very cute and all the things that we have have alluded to so far, is the striped skunk is mostly famous for its thick black fur with a really wide stripe that runs basically from right between its ears, all the way down its neck into its shoulder blades. And just behind its shoulder blades, the thick white stripe splits to head down kind of towards the hips of the skunk in basically what looks like a V-shaped pattern. And so from the side angle, it has like a thick white stripe on each side. And then a long, about 10-inch tail with extra long hair on it, mostly black, but there'll be some highlights of white color in there uh, to make it just just really flamboyant and just beautiful, beautiful fluffy tail. And what really sets a striped skunk apart as well is that they have a really notable small white bar that runs from the top of its head down to its nose, So in the horse world, we call that like a blaze, but really unique compared to a lot of the other skunks that we'll talk about. There's like the spotted skunk that has almost spots or patches on it. But the striped skunk is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It has a large white stripe and its legs are small and short in general. And and it's kind of a little bit stocky in stature. And then the face is pretty narrow with round ears that is like chris mentioned it's not really cat like but it's also not really dog like and that's where it, it almost is rodent shaped so uh, of course we're going to find out today that they're not in the rodent family but it's a very very cute elongated uh face and a little black nose and uh the adults are gorgeous and the babies are just the kits i should i should say the kits is what their uh, baby skunks are called are just ridiculously cute and as I was digging through the literature, there definitely are other color variations for the striped skunk. Sometimes they can almost have a brown or reddish color, um and then once in a while they may be completely black. But they usually always have that that really notable white stripe um on their bodies and their head.
0: Yeah, I'd almost say like <laughs> Almost badger-like. like you know, We'll get to that. Yeah,
1: badger face, definitely. Yeah. Or a weasel. Maybe a weasel or mars- weasel,
0: yeah. And that's why they were, were originally classified as a mustelid. But they're not. I mean, they are carnivores. That, that That's what's interesting about them. And they're not huge. They're body length. You know, the males are bigger Wait, than- not aren't,
1: aren't they omnivores? But Yeah. I guess well, a little
0: bit. Yeah, well, they're classified as a carnivore uh gotcha. classification. Okay. But yeah, they do eat a, a wide variety of diets, you'll find out their body lengths max out about 16 inches 40 centimeters males are a little bit bigger than females big poofy tail again tail. yeah Yay. another almost 16 inches uh, 40 centimeters in the tail way up to 14 pounds or six and a half kilograms and i do want to correct myself there are skunks in south america too of, of all the species of skunk but mm-hmm. the striped skunk is north america so you're running from northern Mexico all the way through the lower 48 United States up into southern parts of Canada, almost halfway in Canada. They don't go to the great white north. They don't get up to Alaska or the, the, the far north of Canada. But a pretty wide range. The only place where you don't really see them is in the really hot, dry deserts of California, Nevada, Uh, maybe parts of Arizona where it's just very hard for them to survive out there. I mean, there's just some really hot, (laughs) hot parts of, of the country there, but yeah, I mean, wide range, wide habitats. They, they've adapted well to human expansion. Uh, You know, they, they like the woodlands. That's where they're supposed to live, but you know, you find them in, you know, especially the central United States is just all farmland. They, they survive just fine there too.
1: Oh yeah, they've done well in urban areas.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they're very, very wide range. Very, very wide range. Cities, uh, urban areas, everything. Now we're going to find out one of the things that skunks are important for. They're they're very. Biological control, like it it made me think of possums when we did a possums. Well, that's what I love about this podcast is uh, I
1: didn't realize how important a striped skunk is for its insect control, and that can include any insects from, of course, ticks, uh, fleas, lice, mites, uh, and uh, larvae, parasitic worms, just things we don't really want in our backyards, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very, very important to the biome. And then obviously they're, you'll find out things do prey on them despite the stink. But, you know, again, you know, especially large birds or, or raptors, they are an important prey species. So.
1: Sure. They, yeah. They fall right in the middle of the food web. And so, or food chain, I should say. Uh, and, and they 're abundant, and so uh, with, with that being said, so, they don 't have as long a lifespan as they, they can when they live under human care that 's for sure, uh, because of predators and of course roads and some of our some of our human disturbances, but their ecosystem role cannot be denied it 's right. really important, and from the the stinky side, of course, many of us have either smelled them, some people maybe have been sprayed or had a pet be sprayed before. Which is unfortunate and obnoxious, but it is not the end of the world. Uh, you know, Skunks in general are definitely known as a shy creature. They're not trying to come out and spray you. In fact, when we get to the behavior section, they do a lot of behaviors to typically warn you that they are going to spray. Um, unless they're like really, really like disturbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Startled. Yeah, exactly. And so it makes me kind of laugh. I'm like, of course, my dog would get, my old dog would have gotten <laughs> skunk because he would not have picked up on any of those behavioral no, clues. He would have no. been like, you know, like, huh? Oh, do you like, you want to play? Yeah, oh, what yeah, are you, yeah. why are you stomping your feet? You know, yeah. like, and so, anyways, it's not the best Sinatra impression. My husband, John, he does a fantastic, he always, whatever <laughs> pets we have, he gives them a voice that and makes them come alive. And then he'll always say the silly things he thinks they might say. And, Anyways, it's one of the many reasons why I love him because he cracks me up. But uh but yeah, so they, they give warning and they yeah, you know, they typically they're not they're not out to get humans. They very rarely would spray a human or let or bite a human, even 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 more rare. But I think it's also important to know the skunks can be carriers of rabies, uh, which a lot of North American wildlife can be. So you might they you might think that they're more approachable than like a bat or a raccoon or something but and they may be because they're so darn cute but in the same instance you want to you know you want to keep a distance for several reasons number one spray but then also you wouldn't necessarily want to get bitten by them or if you did you'd want to uh, notify a, a healthcare professional
0: yeah when i was doing wildlife rehab in south carolina it was i i I talked about this in other episodes, but we didn't handle rabies carrying animals. So I didn't get to hand raise any skunks, uh, you know, unless you were vaccinated for rabies, but yeah, they were, Oh, they're cute. They're so cute. I always wanted to do my raccoons, <laughs> so cute. but yeah. Yeah. Now being that we're in North America, Angie, I, I, I saw this in the news a couple of weeks ago. And so I, I was waiting or itching to be able to, to talk about it. And, It was the ivory-billed woodpecker they want to declare it extinct. And I remember going back to episode 119 when we did the putylated woodpecker uh, from North America there in your backyard. I remember seeing them back when I lived in Florida. And so it got me thinking, you know, okay, why are they declaring this extinct? Well, just to give you, our audience, an overview of what's going on in, in this region of the world. Currently in North America, so North America, that includes Central America. So you go from Panama all the way up to Canada and Alaska. So, you know, all the Central American countries, Mexico, the United States, and then Canada. There's an estimated 1,200 animals that are listed as endangered and 750 plant species. We've covered some of these, the red wolf, the Mexican gray wolf black-footed ferrets, Hawaiian monk seals, right whales, and then there's a whole bunch of bat, shrews, certain species of prairie dog, uh, the Guatemalan black howler. A lot of species are in trouble, and we know that, and we cover some of them. So in the news, I saw this headline. It's the, in the United States, the Endangered Species Act. We've talked about that, how important that is, especially when it's coming to wolves and how wolves were were delisted. But just uh, on the 29th of September, 2021, they announced that they want to delist 23 species and declare them extinct. Wow. 23. Yeah. 23. And the ivory billed woodpecker was one of them. So looking at this list of species, most half of them are birds. So you had the the Bachman's warbler, uh, thrush birds like the large Kauai thrush bird in Hawaii. There's nine birds in Hawaii that are that are on this list. The little Mariana fruit bat from Guam. The last sighting of them was in the 60s. And then the ivory-billed woodpecker was in that that group, which we talked about. And the last confirmed sighting was in 1944. And then there's some fish and mussels and things on that list. So, you know, 23 species extinct is is massive. It's massive. Sure. Mm -hmm. We go back, the natural background rate is, you know, was it one to two species of anything per year in the world should go extinct. And now we're seeing hundreds uh, around the world of well, hundreds, dozens, dozens. Easily, but maybe up to 100 species declared extinct around the world each year, you know, which covers insects, plants, all that stuff. So that was kind of a, a bummer, but there is some pushback. Uh, Dr. Fitzpatrick, he's the director of the Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology. We've been talking about that in our bird episodes lately with their their bird apps. He said it's a bit premature to delist some of these species, the ivory-billed woodpecker And in that episode, Angie, even though it was 100 episodes ago, I remember you (laughs) talking about it in this ivory-billed woodpecker. And you said they think they might have spotted some in Louisiana and Mississippi where a birder had got some acoustic evidence of the bird.
1: Well, Yes, in in uh, a potential video, although the video is not very clear, so mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I remember that. There's I remember that debate debate among uh, the specialists
0: that it might be making a comeback. There, they they they, but they have no hard evidence,
1: so mm-hmm.
0: it may go yes. ahead and be declared extinct. Now, really quickly, the Endangered Species Act does work. You know, the government has come out and said it does work. They've delisted 54 species because they've been recovered. Others, 56 species have gone from endangered to threatened. So there is improvement of like 99% of the species on there are doing well. It's just these ones were put on too late because this wasn't implemented until the early 70s. So it was too late to save a lot of these species that they want to declare extinct. Now, politically, in the United States, you know, the, the previous president made it harder to put animals and plants and stuff on, the, on it and wanted to delist a bunch of stuff. Uh, right now, the current president of the United States hasn't done much. And so there's a lot of pressure from conservationists, President Biden, to start making some action get
1: that ball rolling. Yeah. yeah.
0: He hasn't done anything yet in his presidency and people are like you need to get moving now. We, we can't wait. So it'll right. be interesting to see how the next few years go there. But again, just like these other areas of the world, we cover Angie from Australia, Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Americas, you know, North America is having an extinction crisis. We've talked about the massive loss of biomass and things like that. So, you know, we need to keep our eyes to that and see what's going on with some of these endangered species.
1: Well, yeah, Chris, a lot of times when we cover these species, we always talk about where they fall being ranked by the IUCN. Uh, but a lot of times it's like, well, the last time uh, they were counted or a group got together to discuss them was five, 10 years ago. And so, obviously, a lot has changed um, in, in the past five or 10 years. And so, it's much better to stay on top of some of these potentially endangered animals or animals that are threatened. So you're not falling behind the eight ball, if you will, because so many of these species have really long generation intervals and it's not like, Oh, if we put them on the endangered species list, like they'll bounce back next week or next, obviously not next week, but in the next couple of years. uh, I mean, so it is really something to keep our eye on and we all know that you have to vote with your dollar and vote, 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 vote in general and get the right, uh, send the right message, the clear message to the policymakers, um, not only on a state level, but also even, even in, at a city level.
0: Well, if I remember the, one of the last Australian species we covered and they they released a list. Of, it, it was a dozen plus around there of maybe 16, 17 animals they declared extinct. And I talked about it It takes a long time to declare an animal extinct. It's not just like, Mm -hmm. oh, we haven't seen them in the past year. They're extinct. It's decades. So we're talking a massive lag, right? Imagine in 20 years, the number of species we're going to declare extinct, you know, in 2040 compared to 2021. Because you're looking at this list, like the the oldest last sighting. So on this list of the the animals they want to declare extinct is the Kauai Nukapu bird the last confirmed sighting was in 1899. so here we are 122 years later they're finally declaring it extinct Uh, the most recent was the paolu bird from hawaii with the last confirmed sighting was in 2004. many of these animals on the list were in the 1960s 70s and 80s was the last confirmed sighting so it's taken what 40 years to finally declare these animals extinct. You know, we haven't seen them in the wild. We can't find any evidence of them in a the wild. So they're likely gone unless by some miracle, a small population, like a black footed ferret that was declared extinct was barely hanging on in one coven in Wyoming, right. That they were able to, to, to bring them back. So anyways, it, it's just something to be aware of. And again, we'll keep, Bring in these stories and and checking each region of the world and, and talk about what's going on there. Now to switch gears up a little bit. Going back to the striped skunks, they're doing great. Least concern. Yes,
1: it's good news. It's always fun when that happens. Yes,
0: it's a species doing just fine. Looking at their their natural history and classification, they're mammals. Again, over fifty four hundred species of mammals. We're only in episode 253, I think this would be, Angie. So we got plenty to to cover. Remember, half of those are rodents. (laughs) I know. In our old age, we'll be doing the rodent podcast. I love it. I love Uh, it. Now, this was interesting with skunks. The order is carnivora. So under the carnivores, and you only have about 280 species. Now, the family, this is where it got interesting because we talked about, is it a mustelid? Is it a rodent? Is it? No, it's, it used to be, skunks used to be classified as mustelids. But with DNA evidence and further research, they realized skunks are completely different, their own family. So the family is Mephitidae, Mm -hmm. And these are the skunks, and stink badgers. So
1: <laughs> Yes, we have to do a stink badger. <laughs> we do.
0: Stink badgers, I thought, oh, okay, those are in Europe or something, you know, Pipsway. No. Stink badgers are in Malaysia. So mm-hmm. they're more in Southeast Asia. And then you have skunks in North and South America. There are 12 different species that fall into this family. So you have the Sunda stink badger. And then you have the... Hollowan stink badger, so they're their own genus. Then you have hognose skunks, which are from like Mexico down into South America. You have the spotted skunks, which Angie will talk a little bit about that. And then you get to the genus Mephitis, which is where we have our striped skunks and then our hooded skunks. Now, the species name for the striped skunk is Mephitis Mephitis. And there's 13 subspecies. So, right, yes. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> they're all like, a little different.
0: Yeah. So when Angie's talking about different patterns and different colorations, that's where you get a lot of these subspecies. So down her way is the Florida skunk. So they go from Florida. I have to not
1: seen one, but I have definitely smelled smelt one. Smelt one,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Canada skunk, the Arizona, the Southern California skunk. I probably smelt as a kid, the Northern Plains. There was the, the Texas long-tailed skunks, probably the one I saw in Texas, mm-hmm. You know, all over, all over North America. So 13 subspecies of skunk. Of striped
1: skunk.
0: Of striped skunk. Yes, sorry. Striped skunk. Mm-hmm. Now, evolution, these are, again, carnivores. So we go back to the myocids 55 million years ago. And then skunks themselves, what we know, about 30 million years ago is where they split off from an ancient ancestor that, that you know started the mustelids and these other families of carnivores. The earliest we know of modern family of skunks dates back about 1.8 million years ago. And then scientists... Uh, Estimate that the spotted skunk split from striped skunks about a million years ago. Wow. Okay. So that's where they kind of diverged. And then about 70,000 years ago is where our our today's striped skunks came from. So that's when they've kind of emerged. So they've been around, you know, tens of thousands of years. Well, and that's the thing that excited me so much this week
1: about their unique physiology with the skunk spray is – Obviously, it was an evolutionary adaptation that worked well for them for a long time and is still working for them, uh, and which really helped drive me into wondering more about how they do this, why they do this, uh, and and yeah, and then it's 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 stuck with them, right?
0: Yeah, I mean they just found their niche. I mean, you yeah, know, we talk about their diet. I mean, even though they're classified as a carnivore, they like Angie said in the beginning, they are omnivores. They're opportunistic. Um, They'll eat most anything yeah well one of the facts i have here is is they're immune to snake venom they oh honey badger. Rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. i know that's what i thought honey badger uh, you know like you said they on average live about seven years in the wild 10 years under human care brief statistics they could run about 10 miles per hour or 16 kilometers per hour
1: it's those little short legs that's yeah that's one of the things is like a lot of their evolutionary traits went into the probably this the spray the stink. <laughs> the stink spray and not being able to quote unquote outrun a predator right
0: right right that was their defense mechanism they didn't need to they mm-hmm. survived with that that stink uh skunks have poor eyesight but great hearing and smell yeah, ironically they can smell themselves <laughs> <laughs> they probably think it's great. Mm-hmm. Now, what I found interesting and I should have brought this up when you talked about the coloration, but you know, here you have this animal. I go back to porcupine. you know, they have the quills that defend themselves. Possums just play dead, so predators lose interest in them. plus possums kind of smell a little bit cute though they're super cute. This coloration, they believe it's a warning. So for the striped skunk, the stripes are thought to be a warning that it points towards its anal glands. Mm -hmm. And they have, so there's a biologist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, Dr. Ted Stuckowicz. And he stated in his study that the stripes more of a warning. It's like a big arrow to its behind. Warning, warning. Because he said like badgers have stripes at their, their mouth. And it's like a warning that Mm -hmm. I'll bite you Mm -hmm. where the striped skunk has these stripes or even some of the other skunk species, you'll see they'll have a big dorsal uh, stripe. Points to the hind end like, hey, buddy, I've got this biological weapon in my rear end. And if you mess with me, I'm going to release it and you're going to be very sorry, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, very sorry. Well, and Chris, just to add in a fancy science word about the color patterns on the the striped skunk and several species is that bold, distinct black and white Like Chris said, a sign that points to their rear is known as aposemitism and skunks. Yeah. And skunks are not the only ones to do it. Uh, Obviously there's a lot of insects like butterflies that have warning patterns on them um, and amphibians. And it tells, it tells the predator like, Hey, just so you know, <laughs> you're going to have something noxious, toxic, not very good to, to deal with. And, uh, and it usually it acts as a, a deterrent for a, lot of, uh, for a lot of predators. Not all, um, but it, you know, potentially it's beneficial to both prey, the skunk, and the predator, uh, the animal that is going to avoid the harm
0: yes yes like stay away and you notice when you look at all the other species of skunk they most of them have stripes Mm -hmm. where the spotted skunk is the only one that that's a little bit different you know that spotted pattern on the back exactly again but it's a warning it's like stay Mm -hmm. away or you are going to get hit (laughs) with this nasty stink smell i'm dying to know does tomato juice work but Talking about that, I mean, that's what this is, again, what, what this species is talking about uh, the podcast. This is the gist of it. Yes. You know, the why fun, they stink. Mm, yeah,
1: The fun physiology and the behavior. But, well, Chris, the stink comes from anal scent glands. And a lot of animals, carnivores, have anal scent glands, uh, even your dogs at home. Uh, but in the striped skunk and ever, other species of skunks, they're enlarged. So they're much, much bigger. Um, in fact, these anal glands are much more enlarged um, than even members in the mustelidae family. So they have two glands, one on each side of the anus. And upon release, these anal glands will release it's a musk, um, yellowish in color, and it's basically discharged through the anus and do like an aerosol fluid spray which we can all kind of visualize because a lot of us have watched the, um, the uh, COVID virus videos about how what, what happens when you cough <laughs> with or without a mask on or with or without this type of mask on. And so I think we all have a very good uh, visual these days about how things aer- aer- aerosolize. And the, uh, the skunk spray is no different, except for this aerosol can reach up to six meters And if you're a visual person like me, that's three times as long as a king-size bed. Or if you think about three really tall basketball players like Michael Jordan stacked on top of each other. So that's how far the aerosol droplets will reach. Uh, But if it's really windy out, the human knows. So us, when we're driving in a car or walking in the woods – us humans can smell that stink about 5.6 kilometers or three and a half miles downwind.
0: That's crazy.
1: And so I'm going to talk about the chemistry here because I'm such mm. a dork and I know you are too. You and Chris and I, before the podcast started, we were already like talking like, ooh, this chemical <laughs> and that chemical. We'll get there <laughs> yes. in a second. But, but what's crazy is, okay, yes, the human nose can de- detect the smell and it's obviously very offensive and might even make our, our eyes water even if we're not near it like I'll ever forget washing my dog. Oh my I had to take like I had to take like breaks uh, to just get some fresh air and then I'd go back in and keep doing tomato juice and stuff like that. <laughs> um it was it was very very uh, noxious. But these compounds that are in a skunk spray that are super noxious the human nose can detect them at 11.3, so a little a little more than 10 parts per billion. And in science, we talk about parts per million, parts per billions a lot. And I just recently was working on um, kind of an infographic uh, for some of my scientific research from graduate school. And we wanted to make it more visual besides just saying numbers. And so one, uh, one of the visuals we came up with was to help people kind of understand a little bit better what a PPM or a PPB is. And so a PPM or part one part per million is basically if you took a, like an eyedropper and dropped in a million, like one at a time, one million drops of water into like a 10 gallon aquarium that people would maybe keep at their house. So one of those drops is going to be one part per million and, and do a 10 gallon tank. To extrapolate that further in parts per billion, or PPBs, that's equal to adding one drop of an eyedropper into a 10,000-gallon swimming pool, a huge swimming pool. Yes. (laughs) So our human nose can smell 11.3 parts per billion, so like 11 drops in that huge swimming pool, which is just mind-blowing,
0: right? Yeah, It. It is. It did. And so I was like, why, you know, it's, it's these sulfur containing chemicals are called methyl and butyl thiols, right? Highly, highly offensive smell to us and other animals. So looking at this, I mean, it's, you know, rotten egg, like just To the max and angie's been up close and personal with this i mean it makes a rotten
1: egg like smell good (laughs) like you know
0: like it's it's uh it's so bad so looking at this and, and and kind of the evolution of it all our noses have a receptor it's it's the or2t11 that is the most responsive to thiols so these 11 parts per billion one of those binds to our nose Signals to our brain. Whoa, that is very offensive. We've evolved that way for our own survival. So things like rotten food, uh, you know, urine, highly urine, you know, bad smell, skunks, things to stay away from. We've that's why our noses are so sensitive to it because we know. Okay, ooh, don't eat this, or you're you're going to get sick and die. So we're very, yeah, our noses are very, very, very sensitive to this.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy. And the the chemistry is really cool because a skunk spray is made up from not just one of these sulfur-containing thiols, but seven different major volatile compounds. And some of them, researchers think, are even designed evolutionary to, like, get trapped in an animal's fur. Oh. And, eat, and release later on when they're damp.
0: <laughs> so they know not to mess with this guy. Yeah,
1: so it's like a reminder. Like, okay, it's been seven days. You've gotten in the water. Like, most of it's worn off. Oh, wait, it rains? Here it comes. <laughs> Here comes that smell again. So, but yeah, and... Just to just because I am such a dork, I have to give a shout out to the seven compounds because yes, I did look up like three or four of them before I realized <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah. this is above my pay grade. I need Cecilia yeah, yeah. here to help break down all the, you know, all the components because she would be able to recognize them and get all excited about the carbon to hydrogen and sulfur bonds and stuff. But it's um, there's two butene, one thiol, two butanol thioacetate, three methylbutanol thioacetate. 3-methyl-1-butane-ethyl, I think. Oh, this one's tough. 2 cunoline methanol and 2 methicunyl, I think. So uh, she's probably laughing right now, my chemistry yeah. buddy, <laughs> uh, Cecilia. But she's a huge fan of this podcast, so got to give her a shout out. She helps me. She helps me with all things chemistry-related. But, so if
0: you mix those together, you'll you'll make the world's most expensive perfume. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and oh, uh, yeah.
1: not so much. Although I did read that some of the chemistry of some of these volatile compounds have been used in the perfume industry, not for their smells, but for their sticking quality. Like their, bowel, their their ability to hang around probably on fabric or whatever, which makes sense um, about how it sticks to the animal's fur. And so when an animal or human does get sprayed, these seven noxious compounds become a huge irritant to the nose, as Chris mentioned, but also it can cause really, really bad pain to the face and even temporary blindness. And in some cases, nausea. Which, if we've all smelled some really bad <laughs> yes, stuff, that's yes, yes, we've all been there before, <laughs> right? Uh, but once again, the skunk is going to try to let you know that they are upset with you or that you have encroached upon them, and they typically don't just like spray for no reason at all, right? And so, if a human or an animal approaches the striped skunk, Typically the first thing that's going to happen is a striped skunk will arch its back, raise its tail, and then stomp its stomp the ground with its front legs as a warning. Now, I watched a video of the um, of this and when they stamp their legs on the ground, it's kind of cute. Like you almost want to watch it march in place cuz they're just so darling. But don't be don't be tricked into that. That's actually a warning <laughs> sign. That's not a siren call. It's like no, no. It's like get out of here. Um, but if you aren't smart, like probably my poor Sinatra was, uh, and you don't leave, what they'll typically do is then they'll draw back a little bit, bend their butt around, uh, and they'll still look at the intruder and spray. And they have pretty good aim, too, for the most part. And so they'll spray. And then I didn't know this, Chris, but skunks have the ability to release spray several times in like a fast fire rapid succession, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, they can only do about five to six successive rapid sprays at a time. But they, they can. It's not just one, you know, one spray and they're done. Like they can really, they can really onload um, onto their predator. Uh, but the interesting news is that once they, if they do release all these successive sprays, it takes them about 10 days to build up another supply of potent, uh, potent spray. So, you know, how much you get sprayed might depend on how much they have left in the tank when they last, you know, when they last sprayed. And uh, so I guess there's a small chance that you might bump into a skunk and they had just sprayed somebody the other day. So...
0: (laughs) Just leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, Just exactly. Alone. That's
1: the number one thing is definitely leave them alone. And they will, they typically will warn you uh, unless, yeah, unless they're like really startled. Uh, but in general, they're super shy, shy creatures. Uh, they're not, um, they're not even super curious and going to be coming up to you or anything like that. They're typically going to stay away. But I think I sent you a video of a spotted skunk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm which has another little unique warning behavior that I was not aware of. And now I'm madly in love with it. And I'm sending this video to all my close friends that know that I'm a dork and send them animal, animal videos all the time. But the spotted skunk will, if it's feeling threatened uh, by a predator, it will do the same thing, arch its back, raise its tail, stomp the ground uh, as a warning. But then the spotted skunk is known to perform a handstand. And by handstand, I mean like a really good Olympic gymnastic handstand.
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Where they're then still stomping a little bit with their front feet. Like they'll move around kind of forward and back. And and they'll stay in that position for a while. And we'll put a video on our show notes of the spot. Once again, this is a spotted skunk. Uh, the striped skunk, to my knowledge, does not do this. Now, if anybody out there that's worked with st- striped skunks knows anything different, please let us know. But I believe it's just the spotted skunk. And it's just the most darling behavior ever, even though you know what's going to come after it is horrendous. I I think I would stick around for the handstand. But from an evolutionary point of view, (laughs) the reason that uh, a researcher thinks the reason that the spotted skunk does this handstand and mind you, when they're doing the handstand, they're showing the intruder the black and white spots or patches on their back. So the handstand makes them look bigger. And then it's also like flashing that big coloration warning sign of, Hey, did you not get the drift? I have this color pattern. You should know that I am warning you something really bad is about to happen. And so uh, that's why they think they do this cute handstand, but it is quite darling. Um, but you know what's going to happen afterwards if you don't get out of the way is not darling. So once again, no. don't be called into the siren song. <laughs> don't no. be. Video- this is not when you want to be videoing something. Uh, so, it, but it is, it is really impressive. And and we don't typically see a lot of awesome handstands by mammals.
0: No, 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 no. And it is, you know, a couple of other things that they, they have muscles around these anal glands that give it great accuracy. Sure. Unlike dogs or mm-hmm. mustelids. so that's why they're able to spray uh, with that. Now, you we did talk about this before we recorded because you're not dorking out about it. But when they're almost eight days old, right? Eight to ten days old is when they can spray. They'll have sure. enough to spray. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, Chris. I mean, I call them little stinkers, even though they're kits, because <laughs> at eight days, these young kits can emit a musk odor. And mind you, that is like two weeks before their eyes open. Their eyes don't even open until they're three weeks old. Old, but their uh, their anal glands can work and spray. So uh, it, it's pretty rare, probably, that they would do that because they are typically in the den then um, and they're not even weaned yet but yeah they have that ability at a very very young age to be little stinkers
0: yeah yeah well i mean you know they are preyed upon skunks Mm -hmm. are there have been instances of mountain lions and foxes and uh, coyotes badgers can uh, eat them but really not very very rarely because again they know that they could get sprayed Mm -hmm. the the their main predator is large birds of prey, like raptors and stuff. Uh, great horned owls is, is another one that, that stands out. But of skunk mortality, they estimate you know, 5% are from predators. So this stink does a very good job of protecting them, or predators learn that is an animal I don't mess with.
1: Right, you know, right. You know. And. Owls being their one of their biggest predators, I was reading that in general, owls have a poor sense of smell because, of course, they're all eyes and hearing, right? They're nocturnally hunted at night. So they have a poor sense of smell. So it makes sense that the gray horned owls, like, whatever, I'll get a skunk, whatever. It mess it, yeah, yeah it I'll get a skunk. Yeah, it doesn't bother them. Yeah, mm, yeah they probably yeah. don't have that same receptor that we have in our nose, right?
0: Now, what the skunks eat is very interesting. They're called an opportunist feeder, an omnivore. We we talked, they will eat other mammals too. So, like mice and reptiles, amphibians, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. They will. The one I found super cute (laughs) or just endearing, I guess, because like I thought about honey badger, they are insectivores. They will eat insects, crustaceans, worms. But also bees and wasps.
1: Yes, they love honey. Who knew? Yeah. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and they do get stung, but it doesn't bother them. They said like all in their mouth and stuff, and they don't care. They like to eat not just the honey, the bees themselves or the wasps themselves. So. Right?
1: Yeah. They well, they have thick fur uh, and all that hair, so I I feel like that would of course protect their their body. But yeah, their mouths. I don't. I mean, they're tough. Yeah. And really, really, really flexible and adaptable. Uh, I mean, I was reading that um, 80 to 90% of their diets are from animal uh, backgrounds or, you know, animal animal meat. But they'll feed on plant materials as well, uh, fruits uh, and nightshade corn. So, I mean, they don't really discriminate. And Uh, And in your neck of the woods uh, over there in California, the striped skunks are known to feed on crabs and even fish that have like washed up to shore. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they are omnivores like little bears. Yeah, so cute, so cute. cute. Yeah. So what are some of the other behaviors? Uh, We talked about the defensive stuff, which is amazing. But what are some of the other things they do?
1: Well, Chris, as we may have alluded to, uh, they are primarily nocturnal, which is why I have smelled them in Florida and Michigan, but not really seen them. Uh, they do have some crepuscular behavior where they might be out at dusk and dawn, but typically once the moon's up, that's when they really want to get out and get hunting and they'll usually and they'll usually stay out till dawn or daybreak. They don't wander too far, uh, being an opportunistic feeder or hunter. They stay close to home. Uh, they can walk up to a kilometer or two in a single night. But uh, in general, you know, they might only travel a thousand meters in a night if, it's, if they're able to find food. But during the day, they are always found in dens. And their dens can be a variety of things. Once again, it, it shows how flexible and adaptable they are. Uh, they typically prefer to be a little bit lazy and use abandoned dens of other mammals. But if they can't find one, they'll dig their own if necessary. And they can use the underside of buildings, rocks, brush piles, uh, trees that are knocked down, hollowed logs. So they're not super picky when it comes to that. And since they live in such a wide berth from northern to central Canada, Down in northern Mexico, a lot of the denning depends on what region they're living in. And so in areas with colder winter climates, they're going to have dens that are underground uh, from early fall to spring. And in areas where it's warmer, it doesn't get that cold, or in the summer, wherever they are, they don't mind having their den, a shallow den um, that can even be above ground uh, because it's nice and warm out. And so speaking about climates and striped skunks or skunks in general is they do not hibernate. Uh, If they live in northern regions, they will become somewhat dormant in cold weather Um, and they will really slow down, hang out in their den a lot more. And of course, as similar to a hibernating animal, they're definitely going to rely on their stored energy and fat that they have gained from like the spring and summer months. In fact, uh, in areas where it gets really cold, I'm thinking Canada, Michigan, that, that type of region, they will lose a huge body mass while they're spending times in, uh, in their dens. In fact, one study showed that um, males can lose up to 47.7% and females will lose 50.1% of their body fat. Uh, or their body mass, I should say, um, due to uh, metabolizing fat for energy to maintain this dormancy in these, in these cold weather locations. Now, in warm weather areas like uh, northern Mexico, Texas, Florida, our region, uh, they, you know, they're not going to lose as much fat and they're uh, definitely not going to need to be as dormant or hide out as much in their dens as they would if they were up north. And regarding their social status, the striped skunk is pretty much solitary unless it's um, breeding, courting season, except for in some of these cold season climates. Now, Chris, in areas where it is really cold out, striped skunks do this kind of fun behavior where they'll, they've been known to like commune together in a den. It's called communal denning, and it's typically between females or maybe even a couple females and a male, just a single male. And they're not hibernating together, but they're basically laying around and sharing body heat and body warmth, even though they're not necessarily social friends, if you will. So I thought that was kind of cute, and and it also goes to show that uh, if, if if it's really cold out, uh, they will have friends. <laughs> Anything to I can stay just warm. Imagine that,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything to imagine. stay warm, right? Cuddled up, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And skunks in general, including the striped skunk, are not known to be super vocal, right? I mean, they don't really need to vocalize much when they're doing handstands or when they have that color pattern. Uh, Pretty much their anal glands say it all, if you know what I mean. Uh, But uh, the striped skunk does make sounds like growling and screeching. They've been known to hiss or twitter if they feel threatened. And then, of course, uh, depending on the situation, like... um, uh a female to her kit they might make a low cooing sound or they can make bird like chirps so they they are vocal to each other but it's not something that uh that they're really well known for right like uh, i'm not gonna, I, I don't have a call to play you as i normally do for doing a kookaburra or a lion
0: or something right now i'm still waiting to hear about Sinatra and the tomato bath. I guess we'll save it for after repro because oh, I no.
1: need to Oh, yeah, we can do it now. We're talking all about anal glands. It sounds <laughs> yeah, okay. like a perfect time. Uh, so, of course, there's the, uh, the well-known give the, give the dog a tomato juice bath if it gets skunked. So this is probably, oh, man, probably about 12 years ago or so I did just that um uh I was at my mom 's house in Michigan, and he came back and it was just i mean eye watering uh, <laughs>
0: painful
1: and to the point where it 's like part of me was like well i 'll just like i 'll leave him outside for a while but it 's like well i i mean i'm i 'm worried like he might pass out from his own stink. And so uh, luckily my mom is a good Midwestern gal and she had tons of Campbell's tomato soup for that, the rainy cold days in Michigan. And, and yeah, and I, I put it all over him and I let it soak and I scrubbed it in. And I, I, I mean, I, like I said, I remember having to take breaks because it was so overpowering and I just let it, and I have a cute picture to this day that's still really fun where I'm all messy and red and he's all messy because he was white he's a white and gray dog and so he's all I know. Me- he's all messy and red and he's just like so silly he's like you know like proud of himself right and um, but yes the uh, the cliff notes are it did not work at all um I mean maybe it took maybe it took the edge off so my eyes weren't like watering. But no, that's a busted myth. It did not neutralize the odor of a skunk spray. So after that, I called the local vet and um, they recommended uh, treating him with a little bit of a diluted hydrogen peroxide uh, dish soap and a little bit of baking soda. And that, that, definitely helped. Um, it did not cure it. It lasted for days. And then with being, being a, a dog with a lot of thick fur, um, it was, uh, it would, the smell would come back. Um, I think I had to throw my clothes out that I washed him in <laughs> so it was just oh, that God. darn dog. He was, he, I had a lot of fun with him, but he, uh, he, but I will say this, he never got sprayed again after that. So it tells me, I think, he learned his lesson
0: uh he was was a very he
1: was a very smart dog but
0: um i'm just thinking of wolves and mm -hmm. even bears or anything that might want to mess with a skunk it's like i was just imagining because as you were talking i'm like i wonder how many skunks are near you right now in florida what if one walked through your door you guys would freak out like people freak out when they see skunks because they know right it is bad news so everybody would run and like ah get him out get him out you don't want to that's yeah, why that's why so. they
1: know they own the place and they you know they'll still saunter around but they but in general they're of course way more scared of people yeah, and they're yeah, and they're nocturnal yeah. so they're really not out uh out during the day and uh Sinatra was running of course through the blueberry fields and in the woods um uh, because my mom uh, lives on several acres and so this was during the day so I think he probably maybe got into a den or something mm-hmm,
0: uh mm-hmm. because
1: it was not yeah, of course he wasn't out at nighttime and so Anyways, um, yeah, who knows that dog? I wish I would have had a GoPro on that dog. He was always up, to, um, he was always, always up to something when we were on our little Michigan vacations. Uh, but yes, I mean, to this day, it's a we still tell that story. And uh, yes, I do not recommend tomato juice, and the, you know, it's a waste of yummy tomato soup food, that you can yeah, eat in the winter uh, time. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't really work. But the hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and good old dishwashing liquid—it's really amazing. Um, what it can what it can also help remove
0: knockoff mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: yeah well okay so repro <laughs> yes breeding and and, uh, and from experience they have quite a few kits yes. I remember it was like five or six when i saw them mm-hmm. under the deck so
1: oh yes chris and i honestly think if i saw kits i wouldn't go up to them marching along but i would watch them because they're just so cute i'd watch them from a safe distance Uh, because they are so darling, and um, and breeding does occur every year. And depending on the latitude, it's going to be breeding season is going to be anytime between February and April. And in general, uh, a female striped skunk will typically only produce with one male once a year, Um, and a male will produce with as many females as possible. And the male's courtship with the females is not super involved. what he'll typically do is if the female is an estrus and um, and he's picking up on some of those pheromones that she's giving off uh, probably you know, obviously a different odor than than the stink he'll begin by smelling her and licking her rear end and then if she seems like she's receptive he'll basically bite her on the neck and and then copulate so nothing too romantic no really no Pepe, Pepe Le Pew. uh,
0: No, no, no. no. But
1: what, what I found interesting is like, well, you know, will a female spray the male if like, if she's not interested and typically that's not seen the males, the males in tune enough with, uh, whether or not the females in estrus and competing males that might be competing for a female's love. Um, they typically won't spray each other either but it can happen once in a while during breeding season where a male might spray another male, but it's pretty rare. And with striped skunks, uh, once uh, the breeding has finished, basically the female really wants nothing much more to do with the male. In fact, she might even be somewhat aggressive to her, like stomping her feet, vocalizing if he keeps trying to approach her. So, she wants him out of her life. And then he's usually okay with that because he wants to go off and keep building his fat reserves for the winter and potentially breeding other females. So it's definitely agreed upon on both sides. Like you're not involved. <laughs> Get out. Get out. And so then the female will find herself a nice den and she will spend her time getting food, but then also resting a lot in the den where she'll gestate for about 60 to 77 days. And the reason for this large gap is because there are, depending on uh, which region the striped skunk is living in and what time of year it is, uh, there, are, there, there are periods of delayed implantation that can last up to 19 days. And so that's why there's that, that pretty good range in gestating days. And then upon birth, the striped skunk, she will give birth anywhere from two to ten kits. And they're teeny tiny. They're about 32 to 35 grams. And at birth, they're pretty helpless. They don't have a ton of fur, um, but they will have kind of their discernible, like, stripe patterns at birth. And as Chris and I mentioned earlier, by day eight, their eyes are still closed, but their little stinkers get going and they could they can secrete musk uh, if need be. And then they open their eyes at about three weeks of age. Uh, and their moms don't wean them until they're about six to eight weeks old. And around this time of six to eight weeks, that's when they start to hang out with their mom. They learn to hunt and to forage, uh, by basically following their mother in that single file line. So that's what the goal, I think, for all of us, all of us nature buffs out there. We want to see a mother skunk with her little kits all in a a perfect little line following her when she does go out to hunt. And so during this time, uh, these kits are, you know, 100 percent dependent on their mom protecting them which she will definitely do. Uh, uh, maybe not as much as like a bear or a helicopter mom, but there's definitely a term out there for a skunk mom where she will, you know, she will spray you. She will, She'll she not will not, them. she will defend them. Exactly. Uh, and so, Interestingly enough, uh, the males do become independent before the females, so they're going to leave their mom anywhere in the summer from like July to August. They're going to take off and um, start doing their little skunk thing. But the female kits, they can sometimes stay with their mom until the following spring. So it just depends. But both male and female striped skunks do reach uh, sexual maturity around 10 months to a year.
0: Well, I mean, as we opened up, they're least concerned. Mm-hmm. We don't have population numbers. There's some studies that they go up and down depending on climate and, and things like that, but they're, they're pretty abundant across the range.
1: I did read that the pygmy spotted skunk is listed as vulnerable because of ongoing population loss of maybe more than 30% in the past three generations.
0: Yeah, I did see that. They, they are down in Mexico. So yeah, their population is, is, is going down. But the, the striped skunk, skunks and some other species are doing okay for what we know. Mm-hmm. So with that, there isn't really a skunk organization. So Angie and I, we want to always support um, this organization. And that's the Center for Biological Diversity we got talking before the podcast we want to try to get somebody from that organization back on yes absolutely right they are amazing they are very active you know we had one of their lawyers on they're filing lawsuits to protect animals and and fight the good fight you know their mission saving life on earth you know they they're fighting for our wild spaces and wild places so You can always visit them at biologicaldiversity.org. You can always find that link on the show notes. You know, a great species, a fun species to start uh, November 2021 off. And I know we've got a fun lineup coming up in the next few weeks. But, you know, I just want to say thank you to everybody that listens. All of those wonderful messages. You know, like Angie said earlier in the podcast, it really lights up our day we always share you know news and things like that so so thank you so much for that thank you for supporting us and stay tuned for next week for a a new species
1: yeah thank you everyone and my request this week is to just share this episode or one of your favorite episodes with a friend and get them excited about animals and about podcasting uh, because the more we help educate everyone the better chance all species will have so thank you for listening
0: Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com